Amen. Amen. Come on now. That's some good worship, wasn't it? Amen. Amen. Well, it's good to be able to uh, work our way through the life of David, which is what we have been doing uh, for some time now. Still have a few weeks left as we continue to look at his life and the series called Boldly Forward for His Glory. Uh, what we're looking at today specifically is a title called Forward Desperation. Because what we're going to see in David here is what we really need to see in the church. And that is for us to be desperate for the Lord. Now let me ask you all a question. Have you all ever been desperate for anything? Now don't answer that out loud because I don't want to know what it is. All right, But sometimes we're desperate. Maybe think about a, you know, a water on a hot day or something like that. Uh, to be desperate. And desperate here is in the... And the idea of thinking of having a great need, okay? Uh, I want to show you a picture. Uh, Somebody was uh, showing me this week. Well, actually, one of the interns found it for me. Uh, But I want to show you this picture, if we can pull that up, if we could. Uh, You may remember this story. This is down in Panama City Beach uh, in Florida in July of last year. And this is a chain of people who, about 70 or 80 people, who linked arms together, a lot of them are strangers, were linking arms together to reach about nine people who had got caught in a riptide and they were being swept out uh, by the current. And so these uh, 70 or 80 people linked arms together and were able to rescue all nine of those people. I don't know if you remember that story or not. This picture uh, was on uh, the news and what have you. And as I thought about that, that is a beautiful picture, really, of the church and people coming together, linking arms together, you know, sometimes even total strangers who are working together to rescue those who are perishing. What I would like for us to do, though, as we think about this picture, is actually I want us to flip it uh, a little bit and think about it in the reverse. What I'd like to think about, and what you want you to think about, is that all the group of people are actually in the water, and there's only one person who is on the beach. And understand that we, as the church, are a group of people who are drowning and need the one to save the many. And the one who is the, has the ability to save the many is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so what we see in today's passage is that David, as we will look at here in just a minute, is that he really is desperate for the Lord and what has taken place in his life. Now, understand that as we talk about David being desperate, it's not in, the, in a sense of being desperate and that there is no hope. That's not it at all, but rather he's desperate in that there's someone, he is someone who has a great need. And what we see in David, as I said, is what we need to see in the church. In all of us as believers, in each of us, there needs to be this desperation or the desperateness for the Lord. Now, you might be just graduated from high school, or maybe you're the up-and-coming senior at high school, or maybe you're a senior in college, or maybe you've got the best job, and you're making the best money, and you've got the best wife, and you've got the best kids, and everything's great. But I have a news for you today. No matter where you are in life, friends, we all still are desperate for Jesus. We all still need Him. All of us need the Lord. And what we see here in David is that he is desperate for the Lord in this part of his journey. And we also need to see that in us as well in order to really move forward. There are certain elements in this desperation uh, for the Lord. Now, let me just give you a little bit of background before we read. And we're going to read here in just a few minutes from 2 Samuel 15, picking up in verse 13. But let me give you some of the backstory of David. Uh, As we know that God has said about David that he's a man after God's own heart. 
We also know that just last week, and we'd seen him do some amazing things and great things, you know, with Goliath and what have you. And, uh, you know, the, the, we saw the ark. We saw what he did with Saul and how he you know, spared Saul's life. All the things showed, showed grace to Mephibosheth, all these great things. But we also want to know, and a couple weeks ago, if you remember, we talked about where David sinned greatly with Bathsheba and her husband Uriah. And then last week we talked about how Nathan confronts him with his sin and says to David, you are the man. And what we find in David, that David is a man after God's own heart because David owned his sin and repented of his sin. And God forgave him of his sin, but he also told him that there would be consequences to his sin. And now from this point forward in the life of David, we see the consequences that he has to deal with in his life, but he maintains being a man after God's own heart. Are y'all with me this morning? Just check it, all right? Because I will ask again, all right? But what we find here is we've now have, we've come to this place of consequences. And if you read in chapters 13 and 14, and I'm not going to read that today, but if you were to go back and read in that, you would find that David, as we know, has children, lots of children of various wives and concubines. And what you find in those chapters is that one of those sons, a man by the name of Amnon, desires to have his half-sister, a girl by the name of Tamar. And so he longs for his half-sister, and ultimately he rapes her. And then another brother, Tamar's brother, then comes and kills Amnon. David, of course, in the midst of all this, is very angry, and he is very grieved by what has taken place. And Absalom flees Jerusalem for fear of what may happen to him. He leaves. What well, time passes, as we see, time will pass over these uh, uh, verses there in that chapter, those chapters. And what happens in the midst of time is that David ultimately does forgive Absalom, and Absalom returns home. But when Absalom returns home, he doesn't return home grateful and gra- for the grace that has been extended to him. But rather what he does, or what Absalom does, is he hatches a plot to take over the kingdom from his father David. Now understand, as we think about Absalom, and you'll see this in the scriptures in in the previous two chapters to this one, Absalom is a handsome man who has charm, uh, and he was difficult to resist, and he steals the hearts of the people through various manipulations and ways in which he fakes tenderness uh, toward the people and caring for the people. It's all a ruse to be able to gain people for his kingdom. And so this treasonous rebellion against his father, it grows stronger and stronger. And this is where we pick up today. In honor and reverence to the word of God, would you please stand as I start in chapter 15 of 2 Samuel, verse 13. Knowing where we are in this story. Verse 13, a messenger came to David saying, The hearts of the men of Israel are with Absalom. So David said to all of his servants who were with him at Jerusalem, Arise and let us flee, or we shall not escape from Absalom. Make haste to depart, lest he overtake us suddenly and bring disaster upon us and strike the city with the edge of the sword. And the king's servants said to the king, We are your servants, ready to do whatever my lord the king commands. And then the king went out with all of his household after him. Uh, But the king left ten women concubines to keep the house. And the king went out with all the people after him and stopped at the outskirts. And then all his servants passed before him. And all the Carathites and all the Pelophites and all the Gittites, 600 men who had followed him from Gath, passed before the king. Skip down to verse 23. And all the country wept with a loud voice, and all the people crossed over. The king himself also crossed over the brook Kidron, and all the people crossed over toward the way of the wilderness. 
There was Zadok also, and all the Levites with him, bearing the ark of the covenant of God. And they set down the ark of God, and Abiathar went up until all the people had finished crossing over from the city. And then the king said to Zadok, Carry the ark of God back into the city. If I find favor in the eyes of the Lord, he'll bring me back and show me both it and his dwelling place. But if he says thus, I have no delight in you, here I am. Let him do to me as seems good to him. The king also said to Zadok the priest, Are you not a seer? Return to the city in peace, and your two sons with you. Ahimaaz, your son, and Jonathan, the son of Abiathar. See, I will wait in the plains of the wilderness until word comes from you to inform me. Therefore Zadok and Abiathar carried the ark of God back to Jerusalem, and they remained there. So David went up the ascent of the Mount of Olives and wept as he went up, and he had his head covered and went barefoot. And all the people who were with him covered their heads, and they went up, weeping as they went up. Then someone told David, saying, Ahithophel is among the conspirators with Absalom. And David said, O Lord, I pray, turn the counsel of Ahithophel into foolishness. Now it happened when David had come to the top of the mountain where he worshipped God, there was Hushai the archite coming to meet with him, his robe torn, dust on his head. And David said to him, If you will go with me, then you will become a burden to me. But if you return to the city and say to Absalom, I will be your servant, O king, as I was your father's servant previously, so I will now also be your servant, then you may defeat the counsel of Ahithophel for me. And I'll stop reading right there. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the reading of your word, and we know, Lord, that you have a message for us today, and we come to this message, we come to this with a sense of expectation for you to work in all of our hearts that we'll walk away here with a greater sense of our desperate need for you. So, Lord, I pray that the words of my mouth and meditation of my heart will be acceptable in your sight, O oh Lord, my rock and my redeemer, that you would work in every heart and every life, including my own. And, Lord, may you be glorified through that which is said and done. And when we walk away, we'll know that we have been in your presence and you have dealt with us. And we praise you even now for it. For it's in Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Thank you. you may be seated. Well, you see in the bulletin, the outline, I want to walk you through that today. As, as I said, what we see in David, we need to see in the church today. As David here is in a predicament where he is in desperate need of the Lord. And as he is in a desperate need for the Lord, we see in him some things that need to be seen in us as well. And the first thing that we see in his desperation, that we should see in our desperation, is that he set aside the throne. David set aside the throne. Now, as he knows that his son Absalom is coming with those people, with the armies of his own who are coming against him in Jerusalem, David does something. David doesn't say, let's fight, as David certainly could have and had the ability to fight as well, as well as he had the servants who were with him who could have fought. But what he does in verse 14 says, David says to all the servants who were with him at Jerusalem, arise and let us flee or we will not escape from Absalom. Make haste to depart, lest he overtake us suddenly and bring disaster upon us and strike the city with the edge of the sword. So what we see here is that what David is doing, even though he had quite the ability, he had quite the, the, uh, the, uh, the strength, the, the military might to be able to, to come out against Absalom, what he does instead is that he is willing to set aside his throne for the sake of the city. He is willing to set aside his throne for the sake of his people there in, in Israel. He sets it aside, sacrificing for the sake of others. Even though his servants were ready to go to battle with him, 
And we know that he had courage. We know that he had abilities. He set all of those aspirations, all of those abilities, all of that that he had of his own to the side for the sake of others. This is something, friends, listen, that we see in David and his desperate need for the Lord that we really need to see in the church as well. Where we as believers are willing that we have a heart that is desperate for the Lord that we will set aside the throne of my own life and me sitting on that throne and be willing to sacrifice for the sake of others. That's something we need to see in our own life. You know, now to set the throne of my life aside, to, set me, to take me off of the throne of my life, to set that aside, that is so counterculture because we live in a culture where it's all about me. Amen? That's the culture in which we live. It's all about us. It's all about me. And so it's countercultural. It's against the natural flesh. As David sets the throne of his life aside for the sake of others. But what happens is we today are desperate. When we're desperate, we're not thinking about other people. We're thinking about ourselves. We want to bolster ourselves up. We, want to, we don't want to move aside. We want to, how, what can I do to protect me? What can I do if I'm desperate? What can I do to help me? I'm not thinking about other people. But David here we see, in his time of being desperate for the Lord, he's thinking about others. He is setting himself aside and sacrificing for others. Beloved, that's what we need to see in the church. We're God's people who are setting aside the throne of our lives where we are sitting on the throne and thinking about other people. It's a willingness to sacrifice for the sake of others. A willingness to give up something or anything for the sake of someone else. You mean you want me to give up something? Well, yeah, that's what I said. You need to give up. Give up yourself. You want me to give up myself? Absolutely. What are you talking about, preacher? Well, it's not my words. Listen, it's what Jesus said. He said to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. Amen? That's his words. For us as believers, what we need to see in the church today is that we, take, we get off the throne of our own life and set, that self, set ourselves aside so that he can have control over us and in us and through us. We see that in David where he is trusting in the Lord. You see, this is what we need in the church of this setting the throne aside for the sake of others. What we see here is that it is the mind of of Christ. And Philippians chapter 2 is where we find this, this mind of Christ. We hear Paul writes to the church of Philippi and he says in verse 3, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. Y'all got that? Let me see that again. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. That's placing ourselves on the throne of our lives. We need to do away with that. Because everything that we do now is through our selfish ambition, our conceit, our pride. But in lowliness of mind, let us esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Let this mind, watch, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ, Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. Jesus, the creator of the universe, sitting on the throne of heaven, set that throne aside to come and be a man. Humbling himself for us, for the glory of God the Father. 
It's the mind of Christ, setting that aside, setting ourselves aside for the sake of others. David was desperate for the Lord, and we see him setting aside the throne of his life, willing to sacrifice for the sake of others. And listen, that needs to be in us as believers, to move us forward in our faith. Secondly, we also need to be yielded to the Lord. We see this in David here as well. And I love this picture of David. Now, we have really beaten up David the past couple weeks. But we come back around and we can now see again how he is a man after God's own heart. And we see him here in this passage of Scripture in verse 15. And understand that what we're seeing here is that they, they have left. They've, he surrendered his, the throne of himself, all the pride, all the conceit, all that that comes with that. Set that aside for the sake of other people. He is moving and going out of Israel. And so the people, some of the people are coming and going with him. And as they're coming out and they're heading out of Jerusalem, they're heading out of, the, of Israel, they're going from Jerusalem into across the brook Kidron, going into the wilderness, heading up to the Mount of Olives, into the wilderness. So quite a number of people leaving Jerusalem. People are weeping as what is taking place, crossing out of the city, going into the, into the wilderness. And we see in verse 24 that as all these people are heading out, all these people are departing and leaving the city and going to the wilderness, people who are with David, there was Zadok, verse 24, there was Zadok also and all the Levites with him, bearing the ark of the covenant of God. Y'all remember the ark, right? Y'all remember what we talked about with the ark, how... That is the representation of God's holiness, his presence. We saw Uzzah found out the hard way, right? Remember that? And so they set down the ark of God, and Abiathar went up until all the people had finished crossing over from the city. And then the king said to Zadok, Carry the king David, says to Zadok, Carry the ark of God back into the city. Take it back. If I find favor, watch this. If I find favor in the eyes of the Lord, then he will bring me back and show me both it and his dwelling place. But if he says thus that I have no delight in you, then here I am. Let him do to me as seems good to him. What you see in David there, friends, is a, is a man after God's own heart who is completely yielded to whatever the Lord desires. Whatever he wants in me, whatever he wants of me, whatever he wants to do to me, I am his. I'm yielded to him. Do you see that? Everybody say amen. amen. I'm yielded to him. Even though David is in a desperate situation, he knows that he is depending upon the Lord. He needs the Lord. Yet he is saying, look, I am completely yielded to you. I surrender everything to you, Lord. Whatever you want, here, here I am. Here I am. And what we see here in David is we see his heart for the Lord. He had learned to trust the Lord. So we see his heart of trusting him. We see his submission to the Lord's will. We see a man who has a heart of faith. What David is saying here in, in asking, telling Zadok to take the ark back and saying, look, whatever the Lord wants to do with me, he can do. I'm his servant. He is saying, not my will, but thine be done. He's yielded completely to the Lord. Not my will, but yours be done, O Lord. You see, as he was desperate for the Lord, he was depending on the Lord because he knew that he could trust him and he was yielded to him completely. Beloved, listen. What we see in David, we need to see in all of us as believers. Amen? 
where we are trust, we're desperate for him and we are trusting in him because we know that he is God Almighty. He knows what is best and we are yielding. We need to be yielding our lives completely to him because we are desperate for him. We can trust him. We also see this in the Lord's example of this, not my will, but yours be done. You remember in Luke 22 and 42 on that same Mount of Olives, hundreds of years later, before the crucifixion, Jesus stood there and said, Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, not my will, but yours be done. It's a yieldedness to the Father. You know, friends, here's the truth of the matter, and let's, let's just get real for a minute, okay? Y'all ready to get real just for a minute, all right? Here's, here's the truth of the matter, is that our prayer too often is not, not your will be done, O Lord, but may mine be done. And by the way, would you bless it, Lord? I mean, that's right, isn't it? And if it's not that, then we'll say, O Lord, let my will be your will, and would you bless that? Here's my will, Lord, let that be your will, and please let that be, and may you bless me in that. Boy, that is so self-centered, proud, and conceited, isn't it? But that is who we are in our natural flesh. But what we need to see in the church and believers today are believers who are yielded to the will of God completely. Surrendered, submitted to him. Lord, here I am. I am desperate for you, but I trust you in everything that's going on. Lord, you have control and it's going to be for your glory. Whatever takes place, here I am. A desperation for the Lord depending on him, where we're willing to set aside ourselves off the throne of our lives, sacrificing for the sake of others and being yielded to his will completely. And then thirdly, what we need to see here is in the life of the church and us as individuals who make up the church that we see in David is this thing called tears. We need to see tears in our own life. Some of you are not going to like this. I can tell. Tears? Come on, Pastor. Tears? Now, let's just look at it, okay? Just give me a minute. When you look at verse 30, what we find here, it says, So David, remember, he is depending on the Lord. He is desperate for the Lord, okay? He is putting his, he is trusting the Lord in this and in every situation now. So David went up by the ascent of the Mount of Olives and wept. As he went up, he had his head covered and he went barefoot and all the people who were with him covered their heads and they went up weeping as they went up. David, weeping. You see, real men do weep because David was a real man. Well, I don't know, he's a real man, he's in a weeping going up a mountain. Well, let me just tell you, remind you of something here. David is the same one who as a shepherd, the Bible tells us, he says that he grabbed the, the beard of the lion and took care of a bear. And we saw how he killed Goliath, how he led armies into battle, how he stood up against the king Saul. He is the man's man. There's no doubt in our minds about who he is, and yet we see him now weeping. There's nothing wrong with having tears, beloved. Listen, there's nothing wrong with being men or women who weep. Well, what in the world was David weeping about? 
Well, let's think about that for just a minute. When we look here at this, we see that it tells us that his head is covered and he went barefoot. That, was a, that showed people that there was a sense of anguish or grief. It was a sense here in David of this desperate need and dependence on the Lord. And so there was this deep anguish in his soul. Well, what was that soul? What was that anguish, Pastor? What was that that he was dealing with that caused him to weep? Well, he certainly must have realized that these are the consequences because of his own sin that the Lord said would certainly come in his life. And so it may be that the tears, some of the tears in which he is weeping here are because the weight of his own sin. For what he has done, he recognizes what is taking place in his son Absalom coming to take over the throne there in Israel and people having to deal with all of that. that This is all his fault because of the consequences of what he did with Bathsheba and Uriah. Even though he had been forgiven, we know that there are still consequences to all of our actions and reactions. And so we find that, that maybe that's what it was here, that the the tears were because of the weight of his own sin. Or maybe it's because he knew that armed men were advancing from Hebron against him and he realized that people would perish. So it's possible that the tears in which he is weeping now are tears because he knows that there will be those who will perish. Or maybe it's because he certainly must have wept for those who had been loyal to him, like Ahithophel, we'll talk about him in a second, who had been a close counselor and advisor, who has now gone to be with Absalom, who have abandoned him for an imposter king. And so he has tears for those who have abandoned the true king. Or maybe it's just all of this weeping for all the culmination of all of those reasons. But listen, these are the same reasons why we are to shed tears as a church. Tears because of the weight of our own sin. You see, friends, we live in a culture where sin is glorified. We live in a culture where there's very little shame or very little sorrow for sin. And what happens in our world today, and we as Christians sometimes fall into the very same traps as the rest of the world, when we will glamorize sin, we will rationalize sin, and we will minimize sin. But we need to weep because of our sin. Joel chapter 2 verse 12 and 13 says, Now therefore says the Lord, turn to me with all your heart, with fasting and with what? With weeping and with mourning. So rend your heart, break your heart, let your heart be torn and not your garments. Return to the Lord your, your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness. There should be tears because of the weight of our own sin as we fail the Lord. There also should be tears for those who will perish. When was the last time, beloved, that you wept for somebody who was lost? When was the last time that you wept for somebody because they are perishing and apart from Jesus Christ, if they don't come to know Jesus Christ, they'll spend eternity in a place called hell forever, forever, forever. It was the last time you wept for those who are perishing. Or maybe we, and also we see that there should be tears as a church for those who have abandoned the true king. 
weeping for those, even ourselves, for abandoning the true king, Jesus, and following other kings of this world that like to take the place of the throne on our lives. Those things of this world that offer no hope but seem to be only temporary satisfactions. We follow those kings. And when's the last time we wept for those who have abandoned the true king, even if it's ourselves? You see, here's the thing. God is looking for broken hearts because of sin. In Psalm 126.5, it says, Those who sow in tears shall reap in joy. Praise God. Amen. And what we find in that passage in Psalm 126 is that that is dealing with when God's people were brought back out of Babylonian captivity. And listen, friends, even in the churches today, even among God's people who claim to be Christians, there are many, including people in the church, who are, who are in captivity, who are in bondage to the things of this world. Will we, listen, will we weep for revival? Will we weep for a renewal? Will we weep for refreshing to come? Because here's the thing, is that we need to be desperate for Jesus. We are to be desperate for Jesus, and we are desperate for Jesus. But pastor, I understand that, but I am not a weeper and one who sheds tears. Well, okay, that's fine, but understand this. David goes up on the Mount of Olives weeping for the weight of his sin and the consequences of those sin. And in Luke 19, verse 37 and following, I'm not going to read that passage, but there Jesus comes down from that same mount weeping for others as he would bear the weight of of our sin. David goes up the mountain weeping for his sin, but Jesus comes down that same mountain looking through at Jerusalem and maybe seeing all of us as well weeping for the weight of our sin that is about to be on him as well. You see, weeping is an indicator of the heart. The question that we need to answer is, are we desperate for Jesus? We need to see in each of us as the church a desperation for the Lord, depending on Him, where there is setting aside the throne, sacrificing for the sake of others, being yielded to His will completely, and shedding those tears, but also having the right focus. You see, as David is desperate for the Lord, he does not lose focus. As he is desperate, even though all these things are happening to him, and he's, his throne is now in the hands of Absalom, or soon will be, People have left Israel. The armies are coming in. He has still not lost his focus. His focus, and his focus here is maintained through prayer and worship. You look in verse 31 and 32. Then someone told David, saying, Ahithophel is among the conspirators with Absalom. Now, this is what you need to know about Ahithophel. As I said already, Ahithophel is, besides having a very tough name to pronounce, uh, is a man who was a very trusted counselor of David. Been in the, in the inner circle, if you will. He was the one who he trusted his advice. He gave him great counsel. He needed him a lot of times for, to give him guidance about different things. But here's another piece of Ahithophel that you need to know, and that is that he was Bathsheba's grandfather. And so he now, when Absalom is coming, he defects from David, and he goes to be with Absalom. And so as he goes to be with Absalom, David does what? He prays. And he says, O Lord, I pray, turn the counsel of Ahithophel into foolishness. Because he knows what good counsel he gives. Let it turn into foolishness. So he's not trusting in Ahithophel. He is trusting here in the Lord. Amen? You see that? 
The focus has not changed. He is still focusing in on the Lord. And through that prayer, he is recognizing that he is desperate for the Lord to answer this prayer, but depending on him as well. And friends, listen, that's what our prayer should reveal about us, a people who are desperate for the Lord. Desperate for the Lord to work. Desperate for the Lord to intervene. Desperate for the Lord to answer. Desperate for the Lord to work in our lives and to deal and to do that which needs to be done. And to be desperate for his will. We're often desperate for our will. We need to be desperate for his will. Today our prayers do not reveal a desperation for him, but rather it reveals self-centered nature that wants our will, our way, on our timetable, even if we spend time in prayer at all. But our prayers are to show that we're desperate for the Lord, depending on him. Meeting with one of the young fellows that I meet with regularly for mentoring, and was talking a little bit about the sermon this week. And he said, hey, that reminds me of a, a book I just finished reading. And he started quoting some of the quotes out of the book. And the book is A Praying Life by Paul Miller. I said, bud, you need to send me some of those quotes. Because that's exactly what I need for Sunday. And I want to share just a couple of those with you. As we think about this idea of praying with a desperation for the Lord. All right, let me just give you a couple of those. Here's one. Paul Miller says, the problem with prayerlessness is not self-discipline, which most people think, well, I would pray if I were more spiritual. The key, listen now, the key to having a praying life is having a permanent sense of a poverty of spirit, realizing that I can't do life on my own. Wow. Next quote is this. He says, A praying life isn't simply a morning prayer time. Hello. A praying life isn't simply a morning prayer time. It is about slipping into prayer at odd hours of the day, not because we are disciplined, but because we are in touch with our own poverty of spirit, realizing that we can't even walk through a mall or our neighborhood without the help of the Spirit of Jesus. Friends, that's what we're talking about here, about the prayer life in which we are to have depending on the Lord because we are desperate for the Lord Jesus Christ in our lives to guide us and to direct us and to help us and to empower us. Let me tell you something. I am desperate for Jesus in every part of my life. I am desperate for him to be able to get up here and to preach every week to find the message that he wants me to share with you. I am desperate for Jesus to be a parent, amen, to give me guidance about how to parent my children. I am desperate for Jesus to help me to know how to be a better spouse, to love my wife the way God has called me and taught me to. I'm desperate for Jesus and how I'm to walk this walk and and to overcome sin and to to overcome the temptations of life. Listen, we are desperate for Jesus, amen. We need him. We need him. To overcome. He says, we are to pray not out of discipline, but desperation. That's where we are. That's where we need to be. To be desperate for the Lord. But here's the thing. Do your prayers reveal a desperation for Jesus or only the good things that this world has to offer? David here has the right focus in his desperation. And it's maintained through prayer, but also through worship. We see him worshiping. We see him going there on verse 32. Happened when David had come to the top of the mountain where he worshiped God. 
There was Hushai the archite coming to meet him with his robe torn dust on his head. And I'm not going to explain that, but he's the answer to the prayer that he just prayed, by the way. David worships. Why? Why do we need to worship as we're desperate for the Lord? Why do we need to worship when we're desperate for the Lord? I mean, come on. When we worship, it turns our attention to the one who is worthy of all worship, who is the creator of the universe, the Almighty, the King, Lord, God Almighty. Amen? We're worshiping, turning our attention and hearts toward him. We recognize it's not about us, but it's all about him. And so David doesn't lose his focus. He worships the Lord. When tough times came, what does he do? He cries out to God. He keeps the focus, and he worships him. You know, it's right here in this part, I think, in, in my own mind, that between, between verse 31 and 32, that we would find Psalm 3. If you turned in your Bibles, you don't have to, but if you turn your Bibles, you would find that under the title of Psalm 3, you would see there a little piece there that says, this is written uh, as David was fleeing from Absalom. He writes Psalm 3. And I tend to think that this would be a perfect place as David has left the city of Jerusalem. He has just prayed asking the Lord because he's heard about Ahithophel who is his trusted counselor who's come against him and he's on the way up the mountain to worship. Maybe he just gets to the top of the mountain. Maybe he sees this beautiful tree and he goes and he says, you know what, I'm hot, I need to sit under the shade of the tree. And he pulls out his, his uh, big ink pen. No, I don't think that's what he does. But he pulls out maybe his, uh, you know, his... Uh, scroll and quill and he begins to write and these are the words psalm 3 these are the words while this is taking place that david writes lord lord how they have increased who trouble me many are they who rise up against me many are they who say of me there is no help for him in god but you, O oh Lord, I like that. But you, O oh Lord, are a shield for me, my glory, and the one who lifts up my head. I cried to the Lord with my voice, and he heard me from his holy hill. I lay down and slept. I awoke, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of ten thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. Arise, O Lord, and save me, O my God, for you have struck all my enemies on the cheekbone. You have broken the teeth of the ungodly. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing is upon your people. What we see here is David has not lost focus. He still knows who is in charge. Amen. And I love what he says there. Where there are people who say, look, you're, you're, you're toast, buddy. It's over for you. But you, but you, oh Lord, you are a shield for, you, for me. You are my glory. And the one who lifts up my head. I was explaining this to somebody this week. How, how you know how uh, when your children... Are, are downcast when they are hurt when something's happened to them and they're looking at their feet and you as the as the mom or the dad you come up to them and when they're looking down what do you do you reach over and you grab them by the under the chin you tell them look up you're gonna be all right everything's gonna be fine i'm right here david says that's who god is to me he's that to me you're the lifter of my head. That's who you are. Why can he say that? How can he say that? Let me tell you how he can say that. Because he knows he can depend on the Lord. 
And he is desperate for him because he is God. Beloved, this is what we need to see in all of our lives. Amen? This is what we need to see in all of our lives. A submission to the Lord, a casting aside the throne of our own life and saying, Lord, it's not me, it's you. I'm willing to sacrifice for the sake of others. I'm going to get out of the way. I'm yielding my life to you. I trust you. Here I am. Do with me as you please. But Lord, in the process, I'm going to weep for my own sin. I'm grateful for the grace. I know there's still consequence, but I'm grateful for the grace and I walk in that grace. But Lord, I need you. I pray and I weep for those who are lost. I weep for those who are perishing. I weep, Lord, for revival to come because we want your glory to be manifested that you would have your way in hearts and lives and people all over our churches and all over our land. Lord, how desperately we need you, how we need to weep for him to work. And then, Lord, in the process, I'm desperate for you, and I'm going to pray knowing my desperation for you, dependent on you, and I'm going to worship you because you alone are worthy to be worshipped. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was, who is, and who is to come. I'm going to keep my focus. And so here's the thing for, for the, the to-do. I'm going to make it easy on you. I'm just giving you one thing. Now, before I give you this one thing, I'm going to tell you this. After you write down that one thing, don't close your Bibles. <laughs> just hold on, all right? Just hold on. Because we're not quite there yet. Here's the one thing. This one thing to do is to ask and answer the question, am I desperate for Jesus? That's it. I can't answer that for you. I can only answer that for me. I can't answer that for Angie or my children or my grandchildren. I can only answer it for me. So that's for you. You ask and you answer that question, am I desperate for for Jesus? Am I more desperate for activity or better times or comfort or am I desperate for Jesus? Am I more desperate for degrees or education or friends or grades or am I more desperate for Jesus? Am I more desperate for health insurance or an increase in income or job promotions or a kinder work environment or am I more desperate for Jesus? Am I more desperate for lovely lawns or master baths or nice cars? Am I desperate for Jesus? Am I more desperate for order and organization or proper protocols or quality quotas or real relationships or solid successes? Or am I more desperate for Jesus? Am I more desperate for time away or uninterrupted rest or vacations or walks or exercise or youth or zest in life? Or am I more desperate for Jesus? That's the question. Are you more desperate for him than anything else? Beloved, that's where we need to be. And if the answer to those questions are that I am not more desperate for Jesus, then something needs to change in our lives because he desires, demands, and deserves to be first. Amen? Amen. Am I desperate for Jesus? As I was thinking about that picture we had at the very beginning about the people who are on the, the beach, the people who are taken out by the current, the riptide, my mind went back several 
several, several years ago. I was probably eight or nine, ten maybe years old. And being the uh, three kids, a single mom, uh, raising us, you know, during the summer when she was working, she would take us sometimes to summer camp. And I remember the YMCA, the local YMCA, had a summer camp. And so we went to the summer camp. I don't remember anything about the camp. I remember going, but I don't remember anything about the camp except this one event, one thing that happened. And I'm about to tell you what it is. The camp, the YMCA had a pool. And so I know that at some part during the day, uh, they let us go swimming. Well, I didn't know how to swim. And so I always stayed on the shallow end of the pool, you know, being, keeping, being safe and what have you. And then I'm looking around one day. I remember as a, about a nine-year-old kid looking around thinking, all these other people are swimming. I can do this. I can do this. I can swim. I know I can. I just, I just, I just am going to do it. I'm going to do it. So I remember getting out of the shallow end of the pool, walking the perimeter of the pool to the deep end, and I jumped in. And as I jumped in, I realized something right away. I did not know what I was doing. I did not know how to swim, and I realized I was in trouble. And so I'm, I'm hitting the bottom, and I'm popping myself back up saying, Help! 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 And as I look, and I'm looking around, as a nine-year-old, I still see this image in my mind. I look at the lifeguard who's a teenage boy talking to a teenage girl, and I'm thinking, I'm toast. I'm done. <laughs> he does not move. He does not hear me. And I'm Help! Help! And then all of a sudden, I do not know the name of this person. This te- is a kid, a friend of mine. I don't remember what he looked like. But I remember he and I had hung out some that week. All of a sudden, he reaches, he sees me about nine years old, he reaches in and grabs me and pulls me up. Praise God for whoever that is. Amen? I'm so thankful. But as I thought about this, came to my mind, it made me realize as I thought that I could do it myself. But the reality was is that I couldn't, and I needed somebody to rescue me. You know, as I thought about that, as I thought about that story, in my own life. You know, that moment was a summary statement of my entire life. And beloved, it's a summary statement of your life as well. That we think we can do this on our own. But the truth of the matter is, is that we cannot. And we need someone who is bigger, greater, holy, God, to reach down and rescue us, to deliver us, and to help us. Amen? We cannot do this thing on our own. We need to be desperate for Jesus, depending on Him. Not just on Sunday. Not just on getting ready to come to church on Sunday. And not just when your baby girl is graduating. But to depend on Him all the time. Because we need Him. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we come to you and we recognize that we need you. Lord, we recognize that we can do nothing. Apart from you, we can do nothing. 
And so, Lord, I pray that you would work in all of our hearts this morning. I pray, Lord, that we would walk away now as we come to this time of invitation. Lord, that we would yield our hearts to you, recognizing just how desperate we are for you and how we need to depend upon you in every aspect of our life, whether we are getting ready to go off to college or whether we're just going back to our regular job tomorrow. Lord, whatever it may be, we are still needing you every moment, every hour of every day until you call us home and there we will worship you face to face so lord thank you for being there for us for walking with us but lord keep us mindful of our great desperation for you and our need for depending upon you in all things and lord we pray that if there are those here today who have never trusted you as the savior and lord of their life that this will be that moment where they'll say, yes, I want Jesus to be the Lord of my life. I recognize I cannot do this. I cannot have hope. I cannot have joy. I cannot have assurance apart from Jesus Christ. And so I yield my heart to him, turning from my sin, turning to Jesus, believing he died for me, rose again bodily from the grave. For those of us who know you, Lord, as we come to this moment of invitation, Lord, may our hearts burn with a greater desire to be desperate for you in all things that our prayer lives will be shaped by the desperation we have for you, that our worship will be magnified because we recognize that you alone are worthy and we're constantly in need of you, depending on you and desperate for you. Father, wherever we are in this journey of faith, we want to move forward boldly, but we need to be desperate for you. So give us, Lord, that desperation and may we yield to you now during the invitation we pray in Jesus' name.